The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York with the spot on sports. Guys, Mike Trez and Mike Gadone with you right here until 9 o'clock tonight on 1240 AM WGBB, 516-623-1240. That is the number to get behind the arc and jack it up from deep with us tonight. We have so much good stuff to get to. We'll get to the beginning of the regular season in baseball with both Chris Caputo and Declan Krogman in just a few minutes. Later on, Chuck Everson on Final Four, which is now set. Before we do any of that, let me say hi to my co-host, the man we call the coach, Mike Adone. Sure has a great weekend of sports, a great couple of weeks since we've been back on the air. Nothing better than Final Four time. Uh, baseball is in the air. A little nice warm day we had here in New York today. Can't wait to get it going and, and just, uh, just the best time of the year. And where are we on social media, Mike, for those that like to, actually like this show and want to get in touch with us from time to time? We are at WGBB Sports Talk New York and on Instagram, WGBB Sports Talk New York. So, you know, a week or so ago, yep. I know our guy, Cap, Chris Caputo, was a little upset about the Edwin Diaz injury. And following that, Mike, was a lot of debate, a lot of really spirited debate about the WBC. I hope that Chris has calmed down. I hope you went <laughs> over his house and removed some of the sharp objects. But he joins us now with his view on the... Uh, the Diaz injury and the WBC. Chris, Mike, and Mike, how are you, buddy? Hey, guys, how you doing? What's up, Cap? So, uh, well, I'm, no sharp object. <laughs> <laughs> let's dig into the Diaz injury and um, your take coming away from it on the WBC. Did it dampen your enthusiasm for the event at all, or what's your general take on what what we should do with the WBC to avoid this type of thing moving forward? Um, you know, it's kind of difficult because I'm not a big proponent of the WBC. I just I understand these guys want to play for their country, but um, you know, no one really remembers this stuff except for those guys. And um, to see somebody go down when they're not being paid by by this so-called uh, person that they're playing for makes it really tough. And you know, now you got not only him, but you got Altuve who's going to be out for a while. And some of these guys just are not ready for what's going on. And you know, some people say move it to November because at that point you've already been pitching for a while. But these guys are not ready for Game Seven playoff baseball. And um, you know, for for Pete Alonso and these guys to come out and say, "Hey, we're going to be ready now, early in the season because we've been in in you know, pressure situations," I think it's all false. Um, these guys were on pitch counts. Nobody was allowed to go past a certain amount. You had guys that pitching out there that you didn't want to. And um, I just thought that. Um, the World Baseball Classic just put a put a big damper on not only the Mets season, but um, you know, you, people think more now of the World Baseball Classic as injuries and not who won or lost. 
And Chris, you know, in the days and weeks follow, in in the days following the Diaz injury, obviously there was a lot of conversation, but it just seemed like some of the conversation in terms of uh, who was down on the WBC and who was not seemed to uh, have not just a generational component to it. But also, without really veering out of our lane here, some sort of element of ethnicity and nationality and even even race to it. Did you find that? And if you found that, did that concern you or bother you in any way? No, I think that um, because a lot of this is held in you know, the United States, but you have people from Miami going, you're going to get people of different ethnicities. You're going to have, you know, Arizona. You had the, you know, yeah, when you play the games overseas, you're going to get that, that population is going to show up because they don't get to see Major League Baseball players on an everyday basis. But um, I just felt like this is, you know, certain people just want to see their players ready to go for, uh, for the Major League season. And, to, you know, to see Edwin Diaz get hurt, celebrating that they advanced to the quarterfinals. Like, it made no sense. Like, these guys are not celebrating when uh, they win a, a spring training game. So, you know, this could, yeah, they, this could happen at any particular point. Brandon Nimmo can get hurt sliding at the second base. I get it. But if he's being employed by the Mets and he gets hurt there, so be it. That's a baseball thing. You know, he struck out a guy in a 5-2 to two game that meant absolutely nothing. And now the season, you know, is definitely in jeopardy. Well, Cap, we're going to turn our attention at least now to the end of spring training, beginning of the season, a couple of roster moves today by the Mets, sending down Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos. Um, any surprises there with the roster that you see so far? I think right now, as much as you don't want to hear it from the Mets, there are some financial and, and kind of veteran moves that are happening. Um, I'd like to see Brett Beatty get a shot, but they just don't think he's had enough at-bats. They're going to sit there and quote, how many at-bats every good third baseman has had before he came up to the major leagues. Um, you know, and they're all 400-some-odd minor league at-bats. I get it. But um, how long until, you know, if Eduardo Escobar goes three for 39 to start the season, do we at some point bring him up? That's kind of the only guy. Vientos got some power. I'd love to eventually, you know, see some of these young guys come up. But, um I think right now the only question the Mets have is Darren Ruff versus Tim LaCastro for the last spot. Mm-hmm. Looking a little bit more towards the uh, the pitching staff, you know, obviously Scherzer is ready to go. Um, he's going to be your opening day starter. Um, Cody Senga, a little bit of issues with his his index finger and and his uh, his special pitch, but he he seems to be kind of back on track. Verlander, but you know, you have a little bit of questions now with Jose Quintana on. On, on some injuries, um, you know, and then we have to talk bullpen. So let's let's stay with the starters. How do you feel with the starting group and uh, going into the season with some of the injuries they've had and, you know, throughout spring training? I mean, based on track record, I have no issues with the starting pitching. Scherzer and, and, and JV, those guys are just bulldogs, 39, 40 years old. I have no issues. I don't expect them to have major injuries. Could something happen? Absolutely. I'm okay with Senga. He just is normally pitching once a week, and this is going to be a little bit different for him. Carrasco is Carrasco. You know, you're going to get what you want from him. And Peterson has been unhittable in, in uh, um, you know, to start things off. He's your lefty. McGill will go down to the minor leagues. I have no problem with the starting pitching. 
But, guys, think about this bullpen now. I mean, I wanted to pull Adam Adovino from the USA roster as soon as, uh, <laughs> you know, Diaz went down. Like, send him back. Yeah. If, he, if, if he's our main guy right now with Robertson and Adovino, Drew Smith, I mean, you got Steven Nagosik and Tommy Hunter and Brooks Raley. I mean, they did not do enough to improve their bullpen. And I think they're going to try to go out and get somebody as soon as possible because this season could start out pretty bad um, if their bullpen falls apart. Yeah, when you're kind of going, you know, closer by committee, or you're you're relying on on Adovino to be your closer this year. Yeah, it, it's tough. Nobody saw this injury with Edwin Diaz coming, so you know, it, it just an already somewhat thin bullpen is going to be stretched out even that much further. Uh, yeah, but, and I. I think when you when when you look at that, like you can't expect Edwin Diaz to be throwing a 1.6 ERA all the time, but he was going to be dominant, and he was the best closer in baseball. And to make a say, oh yeah, it's no big deal for somebody to step in. It is a big deal. You know, you're taking somebody out of a setup role and putting him in that spot. You know, and the Mets starting off the season, you got to remember, there's no more equality as to. Uh, sorry, you're playing everybody the same amount. There's no more 19 games against the Nats and, and the Marlins. The Mets start the season off. Yeah, they get the Marlins twice, but they got to play San Diego at home and then go out to Oakland, Dodgers, San Francisco, eventually get the Braves. Like, there's no easy schedule to start off, and I don't want to see the Mets at 26 and 26 and not making a move. I think the sooner the better that they either have to bring up somebody young um, or go out and get somebody. Just getting back to the whole WBC thing for a minute, Chris. What would you like to see happen with the WBC? Would you like to see it um, less frequently? Would you like to see it later into the winter, the middle of the winter? I mean, um, and, and if so, how difficult do you think it would be for guys who had shut it down for the season to get get it cranked back up and be able to compete without injuring themselves? Yeah, I guess less frequent, probably at the end of the season. You know, you could do something in November. Uh, people talk about the all-star break. That's impossible. No. You're going to tell guys in the middle of the season that they're going to get, get hurt and then not, not be available for a stretch run. So I would say you might get more guys who would want to pitch. I'm not talking about hitters, guys that would want to pitch if you stretched it out to November and maybe shorten the season a little bit. Like, you know, that year start a little bit earlier. Um I, I think eventually Major League Baseball, they don't, they don't want to take games away, is going to have to cut back to 154-game season um, and, and try to get some of those games in. And then maybe once every you know, four years you can stretch something like this. But I'm just not a proponent, I, I, and not because Diaz got hurt. I just think anybody can get hurt in a situation that they're just not ready to play baseball. Yeah, I mean, baseball, you know, it seems like they want to serve two masters. They want to grow the game around the world, which obviously it's grown. I mean, there are places that baseball is much, much bigger than it is in the United States. I mean, you talk about Japan, you talk about certain places in the Caribbean. It's much bigger there than it is in the United States. So, I mean, to grow the game internationally, I guess, is one goal. But you can't say, hey, listen, we want to have this so all these guys can, you know, jump Jump up on their flag and say, oh, my country, my country, this, and yet still have the integrity of a Major League Baseball season that means something with players that are supposed to be, as you mentioned, paid by the owners of, of Major League Baseball teams. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. To have, a, to, to have the World Baseball Classic finish with two teammates facing each other, Mike Trout, you know, getting struck out by Otani, yeah, that's a great thing. But 
Um, I mean, is Otani really ready for what they put him through? You know, the amount of ups and downs. I don't know, and and I just hope it doesn't come back to hurt him later on. It's it's just that looking at guys, you could play for whatever country you want as long as you spend thirty minutes there on a layover. <laughs> I mean, like it, it, to me, just watching these guys and seeing Jock Peterson on t- Team Israel, like it just doesn't make sense to me. Some of these guys are losing fourteen to two in the third inning. Maybe one guy got signed to a major league or a minor league contract because he had like six strong innings somewhere, but for the most part. Nobody's being seen and, and, and doing this stuff. Maybe some guy from Cuba is going to defect and not go back to his country. But uh, I think the World Baseball Classic took a little bit away from, from this year's spring training. So I'm going to go away again from the WBC. When I think of WBC, I think of boxing all the time. In fact, Larry Holmes and Sugar Ray, <laughs> Sugar Ray Leonard, the, the WBC, Ruben. yeah. Um, but what would you – I know you were saying you you, you kind of – Hoping for against hope that you know we're not 52 games into the season here with the Mets and they're 500. In this in this first little stretch, who do you want to see get off to a real strong start to kind of you know start start the engine here and and get them going? Um, you know, one pitcher, one one hitter. Um, who do you think, think needs pitchers, a good? Who do you think needs a good start? I think the pitcher that that probably will will start out the hottest for the Mets is Senga. I think you know people just aren't ready to see him yet. Okay. And um, I think he's ready to go. Uh, so I think that would be great for the Mets if they could get, again, I don't want to say that type of population, but to have that type of star in New York, eventually he's going to start speaking some English and just having some fun. I think that's great. And the Mets, yeah, I mean, you'd love to see guys like Jeff McNeil hit, you know, hit for the batting title last year. You'd like to see him, you know, hit well and Alonzo and, and, and even, I think that the biggest guy for the Mets to to get off to a big start is Escobar. I mean, if he starts out bad, people are just going to start calling for his job. He's making big money. But I would say, you know, I'd love to see all these guys at the top. But um, but I think the two guys that are going to make this this uh, yes, I'd like to see him hit well. But the two guys that make this team run are definitely McNeil and Marte. You know, uh, uh, last week, Cap, we had on Bob Herzog. We got into quite a bit with him about the new rules. Pitch clock, throwovers, shifts, bigger bases. Any of those you find especially objectionable? And if so, which one? And which ones of those do you embrace? I mean, people who want to take their kids to a game are going to want to see the game speed up. So um, the pitch clock, yeah, it's it's different. Um, I think people will get used to it. They'll probably tinker with that a little bit um, and give them a couple extra timeouts here or there, whether it be the pitcher or the uh, the runner. Um, I would say um, the one that I don't like is the pickoffs, the two pickoffs, and then after that, you know, like the guy's going to start to take off. And it looks like, you know, from the minor leagues, they said, I believe the, the stolen bases went from about, maybe low two attempts per game to high two attempts per game, and it went up by about 10% extra in successes because you know the guy can't throw over. So I think there'll be some extra stolen bases, which I think people want that. I'm not a big favor of – I don't think that's because the bag got bigger. I think it's because of more of the pickoffs. Uh, but, I, yeah, I like the fact that the time will go down. The last thing, though, I want to see is a game end on either a strike three or a ball four because a guy wasn't in the bat box or because a guy didn't throw a strike. Oh, so I think that one – that one needs to change a little bit. Yeah. No, there's no question. All right, Cap. Um, the, the shift, though, guys, the shift, I think people are going to get used to it. 
You're going to see some crazy stuff happen, though. You're going to see some uh, some outfielders, you know, like teams playing three outfielders on one side because there is no rule against that. So if you got uh, Gallo up there and he can't hit, your your left fielder plays center field, your center fielder plays a long second base, and your right fielder plays right field. So there's going to be some teams when a guy really can't hit the ball the other field that kind of play around with that. But um, I think people will get used to the shifts. You get a couple more hits here or there. Uh, but I will tell you this much, the game will speed up by a minimum of 20 minutes a game. You're gonna oh, have absolutely, games, yeah. There's no you're gonna, question. You're going to have games that start at, you know, 7-10, and by 9 o'clock you're in your car. <laughs> that's that's going to be refreshing, to be honest with you, you know. Uh, all yeah, right, Cap. It's, it's a little little tough, but, uh, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm excited. You know, here we go this week. Get it started right away. Mets, Yankees, let's get it going. All right, man. Listen, enjoy this season, and we will talk to you soon, all right? All right, guys, great job. Thanks a lot, Cap. Let's go, Mets. Let's go. Take care. All right. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of excitement over at Shea. What do you think, Mike? Um, are you, oh, you said Shea. Oh, shoot. you're right. Spoken like a true Yankee fan. Oh, no. no Come on. Don't I'm give me kidding. that. No, nothing, no, no. Sp- spoken like a guy of oh, a certain no, age. No, no. <laughs> same with me. Believe me. I, 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 as I'm a Met fan, you know, been lifelong, um, you know, love, love City Field. But for me, you know, Shea Stadium, will, it'll always be because that's the first place I saw a game with my dad. You know, it's, that's where I grew up, 86. You know, that, that's what we have. Just, I was going to say to Cap on his way out. Nothing says it's time for, you know, spring training to be over like a, a game in Florida today where the Houston Astros defeated the St. Louis Cardinals 24 to 1. Oh! 24 to 1. You think the Cardinals were, were probably saying they were wishing for the, the run rule in that game. Can you believe it? 24 to 1. But what I want to ask you though, I mean, Cap mentioned guys like Ottavino and yeah. Robertson as temporary replacements for, um, for Diaz. Edwin Diaz. Yeah. Are you comfortable with those guys? And if not, how soon do you think, um, Stevie Cohen should think about going out and getting another top, uh, top flight closer? Well, you know, Cap made a good point about do you bring somebody up or you got to go out, you know, soon. The problem is, is that early in the season, I think, Teams even, you know, everybody wants, uh, to have that, that good start. And even if you're a, lo- a small market team, you don't want to start trading off big name guys and let your, your fan base be like, what, what are we throwing in the towel, you know, yeah, on May 1st? Yeah. No, that's a bad so, look. so I don't know who really is going to be available, quite honestly. Um, I just think they're going to, they're going to either have to go, you know, again, bullpen by committee or somebody maybe in AAA who gets off to a quick start, bring them up and, and, and you find a gem there. So we talked a little bit about the Mets coming into this week's start of the season, Mike. Let's talk some Yankees. Here to help us do that is our Yankee insider, De- Declan Krogman. Deck, how are you, buddy? Mike and Mike, doing good. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right. So big news out of Yankee camp today. Looks like the kid is making the team, huh? Yeah. Anthony Volpe uh, is going to be a New York Yankee, and he's going to make his debut against the Giants at Yankee Stadium, uh, and I couldn't be happier. The Yankees are making the right move. He absolutely killed it. Um, he's the clear choice, uh, hitting 314, notching 10 extra base hits, five steals, and a whopping OPS of uh, well over 1,000, um, which is unbelievable. Uh, and as well, though, Peraza um, hitting sub-200 definitely did him in, but very happy for Volpe. So what does that uh, 
Talk to us a little bit about what that infield alignment is going to look like, Deck, because as spring training went on, it became more and more clear that IKF uh, was, they see him now as some sort of utility man, infield, outfield, anywhere on the infield, anywhere on the outfield. Um, Peraza, as you mentioned, or I, I should say Cabrera, failed to impress. I don't know where Peraza um, where Cabrera fits into the mix. Straighten, uh, straighten that out for us if you can. Yeah. Um, well, Peraza got sent down today. So, um, after hitting 190 across 15 games, that was all, um, all that had to be seen. And he had some nice quotes about Volpe, um, and a lot, gave a lot of respect to him, um, for how he played. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you on Oswaldo Cabrera, however, though. Um, you know, he's had a 970 OPS and 50 at bats this spring. Um, well ahead of any other potential left field, uh, left fielder candidate. Um, however, you know, Willie Calhoun is a, is another one that I think, um, could potentially make the team. Um, however, uh, I think Oswaldo Cabrera, uh, is definitely a, a good, a good one as well, and he's a shoe in. So what they're looking at is an outfield of Judge. I mean, well, what's the, um, before we even get to that, what's the timetable for, uh, Bader? Let's start with him in terms of Yankee injuries in, in spring training, because if we don't have Bader, obviously our outfield defense is a bit compromised. Yeah, Bader looks to be week to week, uh, and that could uh, allow more reps for Aaron Hicks. Um, however, uh, I think uh, Oswaldo Cabrera in left field is going to be the move. Um, we're going to see a lot more Aaron Judge in center field, though, um, as he did allude to uh, in a conversation with Tom Verducci back at the MLB Writers' Dinner the night he got the MVP, um, was that Bader's not going to play 162 games out there. So we could see him spending some time on moving over there as well. Deck, it seems like it's not a year with the Yankees without another Luis Severino injury. And, you know, unfortunately he's he's on the he's on the, the deck there for a little while. Um, you know, lat strain, any, anybody knows, you know, how long that could be for a pitcher. But um, it just seems like, you know, he's finally kind of getting ahead of steam. And then all of a sudden now, you know, to start the season – um, you know, bad news for the Yankees. So, um, I know they had, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his first name. Is it Johnny Brito? Johnny, Brito? Johnny. okay. I was, I don't know if it was Johnny or Johanny. Uh, but, you know, he came in, uh, did a great job. So. I think you said the same thing both times. <laughs> is Johnny. it Johnny or is it Johnny? Who's Johnny? Johnny, yes. Johnny Carson. Uh, so, you know, he's apparently going to take his spot in the roster to, to, to start the season. Um, any, any concern there with, with Severino being on the, the DL so quickly? Yeah, Luis Severino, he said it, uh, yesterday that he'd be more cautious. Uh, the Yankees would be more cautious, uh, than him going forward managing his injuries. So, you know, not another injury you want to see. Um, you'd love to see Luis Severino get healthy. When he healthy, uh, he can really be a solid number two on a playoff baseball team. Um, and he really is explosive. That being said, you mentioned it. Johnny Brito, uh, rumored to, uh, have the five spot locked up in the rotation. Uh, and he did it today with five and a, five and a third perfect frames, exited to a standing ovation, um, in the Sunday, uh, Sunday finale against the Blue Jays. Um, just again, excellent pitching from him. Uh, he's done everything he can to make the cut. Uh, and I think he will. So if Brito is number five, does that put either Schmidt or Herman up in the rotation until uh, we get Rodon back and, and make either one or both of those guys uh, a number four or a number three? Or how does that, how do you see that shaking out? 
Right. With the loss of Rodon uh, and now Montas being uh, done essentially the whole year, um, both of them are going to be in the rotation uh, to start the season, Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt. All right. So, uh, yeah, the other injury that I'm very concerned with, obviously, besides Bader we mentioned, Severino we mentioned, is the Rodon injury. What's the latest on a timetable for him, Declan? You have one? Uh, same as Brian Cashman's been saying um, that week to week, listen, it's the same forearm injury that uh, Rodon's been dealing with for years now. He's had three IL stints because of it, um, and this is just simply out of a precaution. I agree with the move. Uh, however, like every other Yankee fan um, and baseball fan, really, I want to see uh, the MLB league leader in fifth since 2021 uh, on the mound in the Bronx. Yeah, I mean, when you when you bring someone in of that caliber, you know, big free agent signing, and then have them go down, it's just a it's a tough start. But you know, you got Garrett Cole still there, who's who's always going to be the man who's going to you know come in and and, yeah. and get people going and, and excited about it, which which is, uh, you know, something as a Met fan, you know, we're hoping for on our side. Um, how about Nestor, my man, Nestor Cortez? I, I'm looking for big things from him out of this year. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I think, uh, you know, Nestor had a big breakout season last year, an all-star, uh, and I think he's going to build on that second. I'm not looking, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not down on him this year uh, to go in any slump direction. I think he's going to be a key uh, integral part of this rotation. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Garrett Cole, and I'm here to, you know, make a proclamation. I think this is the year he finally wins a Cy Young in New York. Oh! Uh, <laughs> pronouncement there. Yes, yeah, short-haired Garrett Cole is on a mission. Uh, DeGrom's <laughs> gone. He's the guy in New York. Verlander, uh, of course, is the reigning Cy Young in the AL. Switched leagues now. Uh, I do, I'm a big fan of Sanga, I will say. I know Chris uh, had mentioned that earlier, but... Uh, I do think Garrett Cole can win a Cy Young this year. The American League is his. So take me through what your vision of the infield looks like coming into this season. Uh, Donaldson, obviously they're going to keep playing Donaldson at third until they can get rid of him. Uh, not soon <laughs> enough for me. Uh, where does DJ fit into the mix? Obviously Rizzo's going to hold down first. Uh, I mean, Glaber is at second, but... You know, I keep hearing these rumors about uh, Torres on the trade market bubbling up to the surface, Declan. I know you have your ear right. to the ground on that. Are we hearing anything on that? There was initial thought uh, over the weekend that Glaber Torres could get moved. Um, you know, essentially there's some collateral damage of the Anthony Volpe going off. Um, and, and, you know, we've listen, Glaber has wanted an extension with the Yankees for a while now. Um, and the Yankees have been reluctant to do that. They haven't came out and said, this is our guy, we want him long-term. It's really just been hints from Glaber. You know, you talked about the World Baseball Classic earlier. The Yankees sent two guys. They sent Kyle Higashioka uh, as the third-string catcher for the Team USA. He didn't do anything besides, uh, you know, good stuff in practice and morale. I don't mean to say he didn't do anything for the team, but as far as statistically, he didn't play. Um, that being said, Glaber Torres uh, was the only Yankee to get action in the World Baseball Classic consistently for Venezuela, uh, and he was definitely rumored to be on the on the trade market. However, I think he's going to be the second baseman um, every day, and I don't think he's going to get traded. I think DJ LeMahieu, as we mentioned earlier, uh, is going to take some time away from Josh Donaldson at third base and work his way uh, into the lineup as the season progresses. 
Can you envision a situation where if the Yankee front office was already not enamored with Glaber, that he might have um, gotten even less in their good graces by going to the uh, World Baseball Classic and maybe even against their better advice? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think, listen, I think that it's telling that he went to the World Baseball Classic and the Yankees had no problem. Um, there was really no uh, smoke that they had issues with him going. Um, if anything, I would think it's just pointing towards a lack of protection on Glaber, um, aside from the financial side of things. You had mentioned, you know, um, the catching situation. You know, I'm, I, I, I always am fascinated, Dak, by by the catching, you know, scenarios with all teams. Um, you got a you got a couple of different looks here with the Yankees. Um, is that is that a position you think they can upgrade at, or, or are you happy with with where they stay? Because I just think catch a, a catcher is so underrated um, defensively, and and how they call a game. You know, the bat is important. But are you happy with where the where the Yankees are in catching right now? Yeah, I am. Trevino, uh, you know, coming out for breakout year, All Star uh, appearance. Um, I think that barring any major slump and, uh, you know, a disastrous first half, um, I think you're right, Mike. I, he, he, defensively, he calls a great game. Um, he's very in tune with the pitching staff. Uh, his blocking is very well. Uh, and he throws out runners at a good clip. So I really think he's a good catcher. In today's, in today's MLB, the top five catchers uh, are not what they used to be. Um, and the pool is essentially, like you said, you really want a guy who's going to be good on defense and I don't want to say anything offensively is a bonus. However, unless you're going to pay a catcher top dollar, you're kind of focusing more so on his defense unless you have a guy like Adley Rutschman in Baltimore who's on a rookie deal who you're going to develop over the next six years. Pretty amazing. More. Pretty amazing how a couple of years ago we were, you know, the Yankee catching situation was Gary Sanchez or bust and, and how he kind of, Busted. And some people want him back, which is unbelievable. <laughs> well, there, there's, you know, baseball's a romantic game, so, and people are romantic. They, they want to, they want reunions, but. Uh, I don't think anyone at this table whew, wants him well, back. You know, I'm, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have skin in this game, but I, yeah, I, I don't think I'd like to see him back. I love Trevino. I think, I think he's fantastic. Totally. And I'm fine with Higgy as the backup as well. All right, Dak, that's going to do it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, uh, I listened to episode one of the podcast. It was great. Uh, Chris is a true pro. You sounded great. So did um, Andrew. So did Andrew. Andrew is dynamite. All three of you guys yeah, really had a great chemistry and really enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. You guys are killing it as well. Uh, appreciate you as always. Thanks. You got it, Tech. All right, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. Sounds good. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Chuck Everson to talk some Final Four in just two minutes here on Sports Talk New York. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 12:40 a.m. Or listen live online at WGBBRadio.com. 
Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Sports Talk New York right here on WGBB with the spot on sports guys, Mike Trezza, Mike Gadone, right now to talk some Final Four. Final Four is set. We welcome in former uh, NCAA champ with Villanova and the host of the Big East Rewind podcast, Chuck Everson. Chuck, how are you, buddy? Hey, how are you guys? What's going on? Man, we talked to you two weeks ago. There was 68 teams to talk about. And now, two weeks later, there are four. Crazy how that happens, huh? Crazy and a crazy tournament to boot. I mean, uh, no number ones are in the field and, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of lower seeds. You know, I don't remember two fives and a nine, uh, and a four being in the final four in, in a long time. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I want you to uh, tell us the number of texts you've gotten from friends, Chuck, that had uh, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, <laughs> UConn, and Miami in their Final Four. Yeah, everybody. I the only people that I know that have any of those teams are have just UConn. Yeah, uh, I had UConn. That, the other ones, you know, um, it's wild how it works, right? I mean, and I. You know, you see all these lower, uh, lower seed teams, you know, getting, getting through. Uh, Florida Atlantic was a good team. I, I kind of thought they could make some noise. Never thought they can get to the final four. Uh, that's a good deal. They're a number nine seed, Mike. And, um, so I can't root for them because we were an eight seed and we're the lowest seed ever to win the thing. So we've had that record for, gosh, 38 years now. We don't want to see it lose it now. <laughs> Yeah, a couple wild games today. I mean, te- uh, Texas was up by 13 with under 14 minutes left in that game. Yeah. They end up losing that game by seven, and now Miami is in the final four. That game was pretty wild, and the earlier game uh, had a little bit of a crazy ending to it. Yeah, the the the, the earlier game, the Creighton game, uh, really ended crazy. I mean. You know, I agree. If you saw the game uh, and saw uh, the highlights and stuff, I agree with uh, Coach Wright what he said. Look, if you're not calling that stuff during the game, you can't turn around and call it to decide the game. And I'm not saying it was a bad call, but there were plenty of calls during the game that were more severe than that that weren't called. And then you call that at the end of the game. It kind of it, it's not consistent. I think there's got to be more consistency there. Chuck, you kind of stole my thunder before. I was going to say, as a, as a Villanova fan back in the '80s, you know, as as an eight seed, there, it's very, very difficult to root for the number nine Florida Atlantic team. <laughs> um, but a couple of interesting comments were made throughout broadcasts that, you know, these teams this year, especially, um, you have older players, guys who have stayed with these programs for a long time. You know, have come back for for maybe a fifth year because of the COVID rule. Um, it, it's I think that that's a big reason why some of the blue bloods, you know, like a Duke or a Kentucky, haven't advanced. And you get these teams kind of I don't want to say out of nowhere, but you're unlikely Final Four teams that have been together for a while. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, when you look back at you know when we played, um, a lot of teams um, 
were there for the whole four. You were there for the four years, or or three. Even a guy like you know, um, you know, some of the bigger stars sure. that came out in those days stayed for at least three. At years. least three, yeah. You know, they weren't there uh, one and done. Um, now, with the advent of the portal, uh, you got a lot of movement going on. You got guys that are with the team for a year and they're gone. Like you guys mentioned, you had the COVID um, stuff that went on where you get you get an extra year because of the COVID situation. And I think that you created exactly what you're saying, Mike, is that, you know, now you've got teams that have been together with, you know, leadership on that team that are, you know, the elder statesmen now have maybe five or six years under their belt. You know, that's a big difference when you when you get up there in, in pressure time and you've got guys that uh, have been through the battles and, and can walk the younger guys through that kind of stuff. You know, we were looking for a local angle, as I mentioned to you last time we had you on, Chuck. We should have looked to the West and looked to FDU and also Princeton out of Jersey. Yeah. Both of those teams made some good noise in this tournament. Uh, which of those two surprised you more? Um, probably FDU. You know, my daughter played in the NEC, so I, I know what that league's about. And, uh, you know, to see those guys. And listen, those guys weren't even supposed to be there. Merrimack won the regular season, and they won the tournament for the NEC. But because of a rule that they just came up from D2 to D1, um, they weren't allowed to be in the tournament for four years. So so FDU took their place and uh, and did what they did. And then that coach went and uh, got himself a brand-new job at Iona. <laughs> yeah, well, that, we're segueing into, into my next question. I, I was in the city today. Uh, dropping off my daughter going back to college and all around Madison Square Garden, every billboard said, Welcome Coach Patino. And, um, yeah. it, it's inter- <laughs> the billboards were great because already, you know, you can tell he had a red shirt on and, uh, and he was coaching. I, I, I highly doubt he might have had a maroon shirt on in Iona or it right. might, have been, might have been a throwback to Louisville, but, uh, it was certainly, yeah, it, it, it's exciting times. And I know we kind of talked a little bit about it. You know the St. John situation with you, Chuck, when you were on last time, but um, obviously a big time hire there for for the Johnnies. Oh, huge, huge! When you get a name, a Hall of Fame guy like like Coach Patino, um, you know big things are going to happen because he's going to demand that of his players. And you heard him already; he's already talking about cleaning house and bringing all new people in. So you know um, you got to see what happens there. But I think I give him a year or two, and they'll start. Uh, I think next year they'll have a good season. And then the following year, I think they'll explode. You know, I think, you know, you'll, they'll get back to being the St. John's of the mid-80s when we played. Yeah, it was funny, Chuck. The night that we had you on, I went home that night, and I was watching one of the interview shows, and they asked him the question, how about St. John's? And he started talking about the transfer portal for kids, and I was like, all right, that's it. He's gone to St. John's. That's a done deal. Well, he wasn't even there 24 hours. He was always wa- he was already watching a couple of local kids who were real good, um, you know, play. He was at uh, practices and games and stuff. So, you know, he's out on the road already, looking around. He's not messing around. He's, you know, it's serious business now. He's going to get paid a lot of money. I'm not sure what he's getting, but he's going to get paid a lot of money. The Wall Street guys now will, will open up their pocketbooks to help support the program, and uh, we'll see what happens there. You know, I don't think. Mike Anderson or Chris uh, had that kind of support, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, especially Mike. I don't think Mike got the support that that is needed uh, to be a successful program in this environment with the NIL and everything else. 
yeah, amazing that you have Coach Patino at 70 years old with with the energy and and the you know the verve to go out there and like you said, you're checking out high school players right off the bat. You're, he's hit the ground running, and that is that's always been his style. And I think you know till till the day they have to pull him off a basketball court. Um, that that's going to be him, and that's exactly what St. John's needs. It's a shame the way that it kind of worked out for for Coach Anderson. And I know that he is uh, he's bringing some litigation against the school because they they yeah. fired him with cause. But um, just like you said, it's business. It's big time business. You know, when you're talking about business, you look at the Georgetown situation too. Oh. I, you know, to me, you know, I I, I became a lot uh, very friendly with some of the George the old Georgetown players, and they're excited as hell. I spoke with Reggie Williams and Gene Smith and. Um, with Cooley going there, Cooley had a uh, a conference call with the former players. Now you got to understand, you know, since Big John was there, the former players were not asked to come back, not asked to participate. Completely the opposite of what we got at Villanova. Mm-hmm. And now Coach Cooley had a great uh, a relationship with the Providence alumni. They did an event this year where they had 150 former players and coaches come back. Um, he's looking to build that already. And Reggie Williams was excited when I spoke to him on the phone that, you know, um, the first thing Cooley said to him is, Reggie Williams, you're my hero. <laughs> so Reggie was excited to hear that the guy at least wants to talk with the alumni and bring them back in the fold, wants them to come to practice, wants them to be around campus and those kind of things. So I think they're going to be very successful there at Georgetown as well. And, it's, and it'll be good for the conference because when St. John's and Georgetown are good, the conference is better, I think. Yeah, you led me perfectly into my next question, Chuck. With Patino, <laughs> a 70, roll, right? <laughs> with Patino, a seventy-year-old guy, and the new breed of coaches all over the Big East: Ed Cooley, Kyle Neptune, uh, Shaheen Holloway, and obviously uh, Dan Hurley has proven uh, his worth up at UConn. Uh, which of those guys would you think over the next? Ooh, I don't know, three to four years, has the best chance to get his program going in the right direction? I know who you'd like to say, Chuck. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question. You know, I you know, I would tell it to you like this. I think um, it seems anyway from somebody from the outside that the coaching thing is starting to be a younger man's game. You know, you have to understand the social media aspect of it. It's much more than X's and O's now. Um, a guy in his 70s like Rick, Although he's a, a Hall of Fame coach and, you know, X's and O's is not the issue, is he going to be able to have somebody work the NIL stuff so that he can get kids to go there now? Because it's not about playing time anymore. It's about how much am I going to get paid. You know, so it's, it's unfortunate uh, with college sports, but I think it's no coincidence that you lost um, Coach Williams, Coach Krzyzewski, Coach Wright, um, all, you know, all in this, and, and now Coach Beheim all within, you know, a calendar year and a half or so. You know, I don't think that's any coincidence. I think it's a situation where it's becoming very challenging to um, to accomplish what you want to accomplish with the outside uh, distractions, you know, nagging at your team. That's that's a great point because with with social media now and, you know, branding of players, they, they want, you know, everybody has their own image and whatever else. Um Somebody made a great point, Chuck, that um, Coach Patino, you know, he's he has that name and whatever else, but he's more appealing to to guys like you know my age, your age, 
the, the moms right. and dads are even a little younger now. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, they, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The kids don't know who. No, they, they have no clue. He did. No idea. <laughs> no, they it, didn't know who Patrick Ewing or Chris Mullins were right. either. Wow. Yeah, that, that yeah. is, yeah, and, and Hall of Famers, you know, on the court, off the court, That that's a tough one. Yeah, absolutely. So you were mentioning, though, about with Ed Cooley and, uh, you know, being more involved with the alumni of, of Georgetown. Did did Patrick Ewing not really kind of go that route with some of his former teammates? No, not at all. Really? Actually, just, the op- just the opposite. Wow. It's kind of shocking to me. Yeah. I'll give you an example, Mike. Uh, you know you, you know the whole incident that happened at halftime between Reggie Williams and I in the 85 game. Yes. Well, Reggie and I have become really good friends. In fact, he came with me to a Villanova game on campus as my guest, and we walked past the Georgetown bench to get to our seats, and some of the alumni were like, what are you doing with this guy, Reg? You know, <laughs> he goes, he got me tickets. This guy doesn't. And he oh, wow. pointed to Patrick. Oh, so, wow. you know, that's I, rough. I've been, with, I've been with Mike Graham. I've been with, you know, a bunch of the guys. And, and they weren't happy with how they were being treated. Really? You know, they couldn't get tickets from, from the staff. And, you know, and big, when Big John was there, it was kind of like, we'll call you if we need you. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because you start to talk to these guys about the culture of your program and and those guys were like wow i can't believe that that's how it is at Villanova." it was really they were kind of thrown back they thought it was all like the way that they had it there and there's a couple of schools where it was like that and there's more and more schools now that are starting to go the other way because i think you need the support of your basketball alumni you know when things get difficult and when things were getting difficult at georgetown there were guys that they were former players that were going on social media and saying some things that they probably shouldn't have been saying if they were going to be an ambassador for their program, which I think we all are for our individual schools, you know. So Saturday, two games, Chuck, UConn against Miami, San Diego State against Florida Atlantic. Can you help us preview either of those games? I know you're going to, uh, you're going to back UConn, uh, but give us a, Minute or two analysis on each of those games, if you would, well, please. Well, you know, from what I saw today, you know, San Diego State and um, and Florida Atlantic both are very good teams. Uh, they're hitting high notes at the right time. Um, I think that that's going to be that's going that game's going to go down to the wire. I mean, I think um, those teams are very hungry and, and want to be there. Uh, and you know, there's a connection there for us for San Diego is. Um, Calvin Bird, who played at Villanova, his son Miles Bird plays for San Diego State. So all our guys are kind of pulling for them for two reasons. Like I said, we don't want to lose our uh, 38-year uh, record. <laughs> not that we're the 72 Dolphins or anything. We're not <laughs> celebrating anything. But well, yeah, will you, you know, pop the nice, champagne? It's if nice they, to if say they that we were the lowest seed ever yeah. to win. So I like um, I like San Diego in the first game, and in the second game, I don't think anybody's playing on all cylinders the way UConn is right now. UConn just is, is destroying people. I think they're beating people in the tournament by over 20 points and like an average of like 18 or 19 points or something. Um, so I, I like the way they're playing, even though I think Danny Harley is a little crazy. Uh, but uh, he's got his team going in the right direction and everything's on all cylinders right now for those guys. But you can't take it away from um, the Hurricanes either because, you know, nobody thought they would get past Texas you know, and Texas was up 14 with halfway to go, and they never quit. Uh, so that when there's a team like that where you, where there's no quitting them and they're going to keep working and working and working to the end, they're very difficult to beat, especially down the end. But 
I think at the end of the day, it's going to be San Diego State and UConn in the finals. All right, so Chuck, I got a question for you. These guys today, you know, AAU programs, they're traveling the country in high school, playing in the huge arenas, um, you know, the, even in the, the regional finals, everything is, is in domes or, or, you know, Madison Square Garden. So you got these four teams here that, that you just went through, um, you know, Florida Atlantic, who's, who's, you know, 36 wins already. Coming into these semifinal and finals, are these guys going to be nervous or, or is it just another day at the office? What do you think, you know, today, Back in the day, I would think like when you get to the finals, you know, even even if like a Georgetown, you know, Patrick Ewing, those that team was stacked and you know got there a couple of times, there were there were still just nerves. It seems today like the, the the younger players just have ice water in their veins. That that's a great question, but you got three teams that have never been there before. There you go. So here's here's what could happen. Okay, so you get you over celebrate your win to get to the final four. Mm-hmm. St. John's made that mistake years ago too. We got to the final four. We reached our goal. Well, the goal is to win the whole thing. Right. So if you if you're not focused, if the teams are focused, and and those coaches have them prepared and ready to go, and they're not uh, you know hung over from celebrating a uh, a final four uh, to get to the final four, you know that's only part way. You, you have two more games to go. Uh, a team like UConn has been there before. Uh, they've won national championships in that program. They kind of know. Uh, what, how to act and how not to, and I think that's where uh, those other three schools could could miss the boat. I don't think the nerves are going to get to them. Maybe maybe for the first minute or so, right? But after that, once they throw the ball up, you know, everybody's focused on what they're doing, and they're not worried about how many millions of people are watching. You don't think about that when you're in the game. Uh, you think about just accomplishing the goals. You know. Yep. I think we all agreed at the beginning of the call, Chuck, that it was, it's been a crazy tournament. In your view, I know you watched a lot of basketball over the last couple yep. of weeks. What was the best game of this tournament, if you could put your finger on one? Oh, wow. There's so many of them. I mean, listen, FDU was amazing, uh, to see them do that. You know, I, cause like I said, I know where they came from. I've, I've been in their gym and everything. <laughs> My daughter played that. So that was, that was great. Um, uh, you know, just the big, the big games where you, you know, no number ones. Seeing the number ones get knocked out was kind of a cool thing too, because they've been on top of that, on top of the heap all year long. But you know, it's the old adage: you don't have to beat anybody in a best of five or a best of seven. You just have to win one. You know, you have to survive in advance, and uh, you know, anybody can beat anybody on a given night, and this tournament proves that. So, I think that uh, we're, good. we're in for. Three more good games. You know, I think, uh, you know, the semifinal games are going to be great, and I expect the championship game to be great as well. Chuck, my last question for you was, um, I I love UConn, but I think the best coach in this Final Four is Jim Laranaga at, at Miami, and I think that that's yep. going to go a long way. Do you, do you think, I, I mean, none of these four guys have been uh, to, to a Final Four, of course, but um, he has the most experience. It, he, he's done an amazing job there. You think that that's that? I'm overrating that a little bit, or is that a big piece? No, I, I think you're right, and I think he was at the Final Four. Oh, you're right. Yes, yeah, with, jo- with George Mason. George Mason. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, so you're right. Been okay. To the Final Four. That's so how he. That's how he got. He's that not only elder statesman, but he's got the most experience right. in this type of environment. Wow, I completely forgot that. Good, great point. Thank you. 
Terrific yeah. job, Chuck. We enjoyed having you on. Enjoy your final four, and thanks again for sharing a few minutes with us. Anytime, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me on. You guys take care and uh, enjoy the rest of the basketball. It's going to be great. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot, again. Chuck. Great, great stuff. Ah, absolutely. That was fun. I, I always, I mean, again, I'm, you know, I, I gushed the last time he was on, but anytime you have, you, you have a guy like him who went, went to the highest plateau of, of college athletics and then, you know, played a little professionally, but he, he comes from that era when I was a younger guy too, where, um, you know, the ins and outs, the stories, more than just, uh, you know, the transfer portal right now and all, you know, college sports was so different back then. Yeah. And, and Absolutely. Just, and just getting his feedback, you know, from being at the highest levels was great. So my couple minutes on Islanders before Uh-oh, we wrap. Okay. okay. Just eight games well, left. Now I already gave you a done. I last, haven't last eaten dinner we yet tonight. Uh, come on. <laughs> I'll tell you, they've had some, they've the, had some rough losses. It, it's tough. You know, just up and down. I, I, we, we talked about it with, with Johnny Sticks and, and, you know, they, they obviously, Made the coaching change this year, and and how much you know? Do you look into that? And then they they made a big trade at the deadline. It looks like they're going for it, but they just I, I don't know for a team that's that's on the brink of making the playoffs or should be in the playoffs. Not exactly sure. You know, as of last night, they they were definitely right there. Um, they just haven't hit a stride all season long. No, no, and it's been it's, it's been it's really bizarre. lukewarm. Yeah, it's like something's missing. So eight games left. They're at eighty three points. They're fighting off. Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh has nine games left. They're at 82 points, and they're also trying to stay ahead of Carolina, uh, who's in the third place for that. Those one of those two. I think um, they have a game in hand, also. Yeah, they have nine games left, and uh, Washington is at 76 points. They're just about to drop out of it. So Islanders have to hold off both Pittsburgh and Carolina. They have. Uh, they have a game with Carolina on the second, so that game is going to be huge. Yeah, I, you know, coming off this weekend where you, you, you get all right, you lose to to Columbus, but you, you get the point. But they they're one of the worst teams in in the league. Then you come home and you have to have a sense of urgency. You get shut out two nothing by Buffalo. Um, you know, tomorrow night they're gonna they, they're home for New Jersey. Um, yeah, you know, I was talking to a couple of family members today who are huge, huge Islander fans. Go to every game, and they were just saying like they don't know which team's going to show up tomorrow night. Yeah, it's it's been rough. And and speaking of rough, I mean let's let's be honest. The Knicks are not climbing up to the number four spot. There, uh, there's no way. No, I mean Cleveland uh, right now. Um, Cleveland is, I think, three games ahead of them with seven to play. And Cleveland, I got to tell you, Mike, Cleveland's a good team. Cleveland is a good team, and they they hit the skids a little bit, but yeah, they they've won their last three. Knicks Knicks have dropped the last three. Um, let's just hope they stay in that. You know, we're looking five five six area right now. They got they're two games up on the Nets. The Nets are losing tonight. Um, I th- I think that five spot is realistic. I wanted to ask you one strategic thing that's going to sound a little bit weird to you. Okay. Okay. Um, now. I watched I watched the Nets game against Cleveland uh, just a few nights ago. I think it was Friday night. And what I noticed about Cleveland is they play both Jared Allen and Mobley. Would you consider, if you are Tom Thibodeau, having both Mitch and Isaiah Hartenstein on the court at the same time? It, it's not a crazy idea. It, it's really not. And if you're if you feel that your matchup isn't great against those guys. 
um, and, and you, you go with your normal lineup to begin with. But um, if if you know from the beginning and you get down quickly, or whatever else, it's it's worth a look. I mean, it, it's definitely it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, you know, you know what you get with Mitchell Robinson with his defense and his shot blocking and rebounding. In fact, I think I saw I think he's third all time already. In blocks on the Knicks, that was he. He passed. Oh, on the Knicks. Yeah, on the Knicks. But it, right. but he's only. I mean, Marvin Webster. Remember the eraser, right? Human eraser. Yeah, of course. Looking at all yeah. this, and I'm like, wow, he's already third. Amazing stat. So, uh, yeah, you'll you'll get that part. Well, Patrick, you know, Patrick. People don't remember this. He was known as a defensive player when he came in the league. Unbelievable, right? That that was his whole thing. Was was that that stare down and the shot blocks and and even the the intentional goaltending. Yeah, he became yeah. a scorer much later, and Absolutely. it took him, you know, a little while to develop that skill set, you know? Yeah. So I, I think the Knicks are going to be up against Cleveland, and the Nets are obviously going to be up against Philly. And you know who's going to love that series, Mike? James Harden's going to love well, that Well, of course. Yeah. Because they are going to roll right over the Nets. And that's if the Nets can stay out of the play-in game. Well, the Nets might be one and done by the time all this thing is over. Yeah, I, I, well, uh, it's been They're amazing. only a half game in front of the Heat right now for that seventh, uh, for that sixth spot. It's, you know? it's crazy. And it, talk about the tale of two different seasons for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, literally two different teams have taken the floor for them this year. And if you look at the top of that conference, what you notice right now is that Milwaukee has found their way to the top. And yep. the Celtics, they hit a rough patch. So they uh, they're number two right now. And Milwaukee's going to have home court throughout, which means, you know, probably another trip to the finals for Giannis and company. Well, we're here. It's, it's March 26th. The NBA goes, I think it finishes in June. So if you're... <laughs> Literally, so if you're if you're a basketball guy like we are, both of us, um, you know you got the Final Four next week. We're rounding into playoff basketball pretty soon in the NBA, and then oh yeah, a little thing called baseball starting up. There you go. I can't wait. I can't wait. And that's going to do it for us here at Sports Talk New York, the spot on sports guys, Mike Trez and Mike Cadone. We want to thank Chuck Everson for coming on with us for the second time in two weeks. We want to thank Chris Caputo for popping on. Declan Krogman as well. Brian Graves is our producer. Another great job out of him. For everyone here at Sports Talk New York, including the coach, Mike Adone, this is Mike Trezor thanking you for listening. We will see you in two weeks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.